Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Proverbs chapter 6. We'll also be in Proverbs 13. And then we're going to hang out mostly in James chapter 4. Okay, but uh, we are in lesson eight of our series, Building a Strong Christian Life. Um, and we've been, again, looking at these 10 ingredients or spiritual disciplines that you and I need in our life to become, to be, right? Strong and stable and mature believers. How many want to be mature in your belief? Right? We want to be mature in the things of God so that we, we can grow and continue the process of growing and be all that God's called us to be because God really does want us to fulfill the potential that he has for each one of us. Okay? Not, none of us um, don't have potential. All of us have potential in the kingdom of God. That's how God views you. That's how God sees you. He doesn't see you as somebody like, ah, oh, well, yeah, they don't really have a whole lot of potential. So, you know, just, we'll just keep them over in the corner and let them just kind of play with, you know, the Legos or whatever. No. He sees each one of us with so much potential. But see, the problem is, is oftentimes we don't see ourselves with potential. We don't see the, the, the potential that God has for us. And that's something that we have to get over. We've just got to get over that. Okay? So over the last couple of weeks... We've, we've looked at a passion for souls, a passion for God's word, a passion for the Holy Spirit, a passion for worship, for prayer, a passion for giving, and last week was a passion for holiness, and today we're going to talk about a passion for humility, a passion for humility. So go ahead, bow your heads and let me pray um, real quick. Uh, Holy Spirit, help us to have a passion for humility. Help us to know what that is in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay? So for us to truly obey the Lord, okay, it's going to require you to have humility. We say that in order for you to obey the Lord, it's going to require you to have humility. The Bible says in James that God gives grace to the humble. And if you want this special grace working in your life, then you've got to have an attitude and a lifestyle of humility. It's just something that you have to have. In order for us to be strong and be victorious in our walk with Jesus, this is another ingredient that we've got to add to this, this beautiful thing that we're making, right? In order for us to live victoriously in our relationship with him. Because again, he wants you to fulfill your potential. He wants all these ingredients to be added and stirred together and mixed together and, and all that thing so that it becomes in your life something that begins to create this beautiful relationship that you have with him. This strength and this maturity that you begin to walk in and go, man, I've never been like this before. I have never seen God move in my life like this before. But see, we have to understand that humility is a key ingredient to that happening so that we can live victoriously. And here's the one thing about humility you have to understand that we all should know that God is like magnetically attracted to those who walk in it. God is magnetically attracted to those who walk in it. When a believer has humility in his life, the strong presence of God shows up in their life. Right? The, 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 the favor of God shows up in their life. The grace, the abundance of grace shows up in a believer's life. Just as metal is attracted to a magnet, God is attracted to you when you walk in humility. And humility is one of the primary essentials of, of Christian maturity. Right? If you were to say, well, show me a mature Christian, I'll show you one who walks in humility. I'll show you a person who truly walks in humility. But before we get into humility, right? Let's kind of back the bus up, right? Beep, beep, beep. You know, back it up. Okay? And we got to talk about pride first. 
Because those two kind of, you know, have play off each other in a sense. I don't even know if that's the right word. But we, but we need to talk about it because the opposite of humility is pride. So I'm going to give you my very first point. Can you believe it? It's 1028 and I'm already giving you a, a first point. <laughs> Praise Jesus. What happened to Pastor Scott? He must have had an encounter with, with the Lord. Okay. But the very first one is God hates pride. God hates pride. In fact, Proverbs, okay, I told you to turn to Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 6, lists seven deadly sins that God despises. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 and 17 says this, these six thing, things the Lord hates, okay? You want to know what God hates? Right here. Indeed, seven are repulsive to him. Repulsive, that's a pretty strong word. Verse 17, a proud look, the attitude that makes, uh, let's see, the attitude that makes one overestimate oneself and discounts others. An attitude that overestimates oneself and discounts others. Now, there's six more that I could read, but I'm only reading this one because of time, right? Then you think, oh my gosh, he must have a lot then if he's not going to read the whole thing. I don't have that much. Okay, but, but, the, but the idea is this. God hates pride. He just hates it. That's not something that, he, that he, he loves operating in our individual lives. But did you know that your flesh loves to operate in pride? Your flesh does. That, it's just kind of like a, a, a second nature or a first nature maybe. To where, man, your, your flesh just like, no, I can do this. I can handle it. I'm better than that. I'm, I, all these things that, the, that your flesh wants to rise up inside of us. And, and, and pride is so foul to God that Proverbs 13 says, this is what it says, that he feels so strongly against it. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10. says that pride comes, uh, by pride comes nothing but strife. Some translations say contention. So that we can see in this verse then that unhealthy pride is the root source of all contentions, strife, struggles, fights, divisions. And really, you can kind of keep going on and on and on. When you're encountering those things, then you know what I, I'm just going to suggest? You need to look at yourself first and say, am I walking in pride in this relationship? Am I walking in pride in some way? Am I not willing to bow or willing or eager to, 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 to lower myself to be able to say, you know what, even though you might be right, even though, man, you can get on the highest mountain and declare, I'm right on this. I don't care what you say. I am so right. You just go ahead and you check it out. And I'm going to tell you what. No. But what if you were just to say, you know what, I know we disagree, but man, I, I don't want to be in strife with you. I don't want to have a contention with you. I don't want to fight you on this. Because, man, I, I just want to love you. I want to be friends. I, I want you to know that, man, you know what? God in me, I will put myself in, in a place of humility regarding our relationship. Because it's more important to me than us being at odds with each other and all those things. Right? Because really the root purpose of pride is to disrupt love and peace at every level. The root purpose is to dis disrupt love and peace at every level. And that's not what God wants. Because God's character is what? Love and peace. Right? So when pride comes into our life and it creates this dis disrupts love and peace, then we have to realize, you know what? That's not what God desires for us. That's not what God's heart is for us. And, and we have to realize that even when you look throughout the scriptures, right, unhealthy pride is, right, not, not maybe, but is. It is very much fatal, now listen, fatal to a man's spiritual, emotional, and physical well-being. I mean, his mental well-being. Pride is. And really, too, and, and, we'll, and we'll, we'll see this in a, in a little bit, but it could also possibly lead to one's, the, 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 um, the demise of one's physical life. It's fatal. 
It could be fatal. See, in pride, offense comes. When we're we're prideful, offense comes because we don't think that that should have happened to us. And so sometimes we take offense. And what, you know what offense does? Offense basically begins to water itself and begins to root itself within our lives and within our hearts to the point where it totally begins to control every detail of our life. Physically. We don't understand. When we allow offense to take root into our life, physically affects our, our, our bodies. It really does. I mean, we don't, we don't understand that, but it really does. It affects everything about who we are. And sometimes you can go back to some of the physical ailments that we have or some of the things that we've encountered. And the fact is, is that, you know what? It's because, man, I have been walking in a fence in some way. I've been walking in a fence towards some person or something or even towards God. Saying, well, God, I shouldn't be treated that way. Well, what about just getting on our knees and saying, Lord, man, I, I don't know what happened here, but I know that you're in control of my life and I'm surrendered to you and I'm going to trust you and I'm not going to be angry and mad at you. But this is what James says, okay? So now we're going to get to James. Again, God hates pride, right? Yeah. It's so repugnant to him. That it says this in James chapter 4, verse 6. That he literally resists the proud. He resists the proud. Now this word proud describes, um, kind of in the Greek, a person who has been infected with pride and who now sees themselves above the rest of the crowd This person has become arrogant, snooty, high and mighty in their thinking and sees themselves as superior to everyone around them. Kind of like they just have this high opinion of themselves. Just kind of like, well, you know, I'm I'm just better than you. Sorry, but I am. And let me tell you how good I am, how great I am. Okay, well, when you begin to walk in that and begin to think that, then you know what? That puts you in conflict with God. Like, I don't want to be in conflict with God. So that's why, man, I've got to continually put my heart before him and say, Lord, if I'm walking in pride, help me to not walk in pride today or in this situation or in this thing that I'm going to encounter or whatever it is. I don't want to be in conflict with God. But see, oftentimes we don't understand that we will be in conflict with God when we start acting or we start having this this pride thing rise up within us. And one of the, the things that usually happens to, that develops pride within us um, is the fact that, you know, we have a poor sense self of worth. We just kind of think, well, yeah, you know what, I'm not, I'm not really that great. And what happens is when we, when we have this poor sense self of worth, then what happens is we start to, to, to create or, or nourish our insecurities. Is that true? I mean, we all have insecurities to some degree. But when we focus, focus on those insecurities, we focus on maybe I'm not, I'm not good enough. When God says I am good enough, then you know what? Insecurity continues, begin to rise up inside of us. And then what happens, that leads that person then to compensate, right? Trying to make sure that, you know, hey, I look better than others. I don't know if you've ever run across those people. Where you're like, you know what? You're just trying way too hard. You're not that in a bag of chips. You just, you just aren't. But see, they're trying to compensate for something. Because they have this low sense of self. Then they decide, okay, you know what? Well, I'm just going to show people how great I am. I'm going I'm to just, you know, make everything I can. You know, I, I'm gonna, I, I think more highly of myself than really what I should be. And I, and, and I have a tendency to let other people know it. Right? They just, they just do. And if it's not taken care of, and, it, and it's not rejected or repented of, then what happens is it, it begins to, to lead one to prefer their self-will over God's will. If we're walking in pride, then you know what? We tend to go with our self-will over what God's will. And then what happens then too, we begin assigning ourselves the glory and the honor that only belongs to a holy God. If we're walking in pride. 
And when unhealthy pride sets, uh, set, uh, puts us in this position, it just produces this harvest that, that begins to flourish out of your life that really is not according to God's plan and purpose. See, our whole goal, our whole life should be to live according to God's plan and purpose. God, what's your plan for me? What's your purpose for me? What, whatever. Hey, oh, it's to, to work a nine-to-five job? Awesome, I can do that, right? Oh, it's to do this? Awesome, I can do that. But see, what happens is a lot of time, then, you know, we, we begin to try to, to put ourselves in these positions because we try to make ourselves, oh, look, look, I'm better. I'm, I'm better than this. I'm better than that. When actually God says, no, 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 you're not, right? You're not. Like, I'm not better than any of you. I'm the same as you, right? But I could go and say, oh, well, look, I'm the pastor. I, I, I get to get up here every Sunday and talk, and they have to listen to me, right? I can say all that. But see, I'm not better than any of you. I'm just a born-again believer like you are who is trying to walk my journey out the best of my ability, and I believe that God's called me to do this. That's all. But I put my pants on one leg at a time, right? So we're all equal, but God's got purposes and plans for each one of us to fulfill. And the goal is, is for you to understand what that purpose and plan is whatever that is, and for you to walk in it. But see, what happens is, is when we decide, no, that's not what I'm going to do, because I don't care what God says. Like, like, for an example, I had this one lady that a long, long, long time ago, she told me, hey, you know what? Um, uh, I really felt like the Lord had put on, on, on my heart to ask her about being involved in children's ministry. And she was like, nope, I love kids. But nope, not going to do it. I, you know why I can't do it? Because I, I just don't like getting up in front of people and, and our kids, and I don't like this and that and that and that. And I said, um, okay, but he, here's the deal. I need you to pray about it because I really feel, I feel strongly that this is the way to do it. And she came back and said, you know, I prayed about it, and I, I, I feel like um, I need to do this. She's all, when I first answered you, this is what she said, when I first answered you, um, it was all about my, what I wanted. It wasn't about what God wanted, right? And that's walking in pride. See, we might not think that's pride, but it is. Think about Saul for a minute, okay? Here Saul was. He, Saul had this insecurity in his life, okay? When Saul was uh, deemed to be king and it was time to give the crown to Saul, where was Saul? They couldn't find him. He was hiding, behind the, uh, the, I don't know, barracks or whatever. He was kind of hiding because, you know what? He was so insecure, he didn't think he could do the job that God wanted him to do. So they get him out there, put it on there, and then throughout the course of his life, do you see the insecure things that Saul did? He did so many insecure things. Like, who shoots an arrow at a guy who's playing a harp for you in order to, to calm the spirit? Right? I mean, that just doesn't make sense. But then what happens is he goes and they conquer this one area and God said, I want you to wipe everything out. And in his insecurity because of the people who were like, hey, no, no, we need to take this and we need to take that and we need to take that. So what does Paul, in his insecurity, what does he do? He says, okay, you guys take that. We'll, we'll ruin everything. We'll get rid of everything else. And what eventually happened? God took the kingdom away from him. And he, he, he had this, this, this area of pride in his life in his insecurity. Man, I've been hit with that before. When I, when, I, when I understood that a little bit about how Saul had pride in his insecurity, I felt, man, like the Holy Spirit said, yeah, you've got some of that going on in your life, Pastor Scott. You want to talk about being convicted. It was like, oh, gosh. But see, we've got to understand that, you know what? We are children of the Most High God, who has a purpose and a plan for our life. And when pride gets in, that eliminates, hear me, that eliminates God's plan and purpose. Because we decide we can do it. We decide that, man, I don't want to do it. I, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, whatever that is, whatever comes in, it eliminates. But see, that's what pride does. And God hates Pride. And guess what? You should hate pride too. And you should avoid being prideful. 
Because the results of, of pride in you causes God to resist you. Right? No one ever starts off with that idea. Oh, I want God to resist me today. So I'm going to, you know, be prideful of myself. Right? No one starts there. But this is what the scripture says. Okay, point number two. God resists the proud. Okay? So remember, we're kind of taking care of proud first. And then we'll get to humility. But the second point is God resists the proud. Now we go back to James chapter 4. Where it tells us this exact point. James chapter 4 verse 6 says, God resists the proud. Say resist. Resist. Okay. The word resist in the Greek is a form of the word antitasso. Right? I mean, I practiced this one really good. It wasn't so complicated for me. Antitasso, which is a military term that depicts the orderly arrangement of troops that wage combat against a non-compliant or rebellious person. Think about it. God resists the proud. So in other words, it carries the idea of a well-planned, prepared resistance by God to stand against and resist a force You, me, right? That is out of order. That is being rebellious. Um, If you remember, I gave you that example of Saul. When Samuel came to Saul, he said, hey, obedience is better than sacrifice. And then then he said, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And... Stubbornness is an iniquity and idolatry. Think about that. Straight up. He, he had so much pride in his insecurity, and he thought, oh, well, I'm doing the right thing because I'm making people happy. Yet, he comes and says, you know what? Hey, I'm, God's going to take the kingdom away from you, but you've got to recognize, for rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. That's being prideful. And stubbornness is and iniquity and idolatry. Proverbs 11, uh, 17, 11 says, an evil man seeks only rebellion, right? And then it says, therefore, a cruel messenger will be sent against him. Now think about that. A cruel messenger will be sent against those who, who walk in, in pride or seeks rebellion. When I look at that, I think cruel messenger. Well, it's a cruel messenger if God stands against you and blocks your rebellion, comes against your rebellion in your life. That, 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 that would kind of seem cruel, wouldn't it? But see, God does it out of love. He doesn't do it out of anger, hate, or whatever. He wants you to know, I want this peace in your life to be taken out. I want this peace to be removed from your heart. So that you can live this life that I've called you to. That I want you to live in. Because I love you so dearly and so deeply. He's not mad or angry. But he's looking at it and saying, why? You shouldn't be be this way. So he's against the spirit of pride. in in, In one's life. That he orchestrates his divine power to stand against Um, It's arrogant actions. So God aligns up his military, right? He lines up whatever he needs to do in order to get you to understand that, you know what? No, you you aren't all that. And I'm going to get you to the point, whether you know it or not, to where you would finally bow to me. To where you would finally recognize and say, yes, you are the Lord of my life. I will follow you. I mean, you look at God. God's patient with everybody, isn't he? Yeah. He's patient with every single one of this. And he'll give every one of us an opportunity to self-correct and change our ways. He will. I mean, that's what the Holy Spirit's for. The Holy Spirit's going, hey, 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 that's pride. You're walking in a little bit of this little self-grandeur, your importance. You think you're all that. 
Change it. Repent. And he'll prolong, you know, he gives grace. And he gives grace. And he gives grace. But you know what? Finally, at some point, and we can read this in the Bible. I mean, you, you, you can read it in 2 Peter chapter 3 or in Revelations. Right? But even God runs out of patience. I mean, he's patient trying to get everybody saved that he can. But at some point, his patience is going to run out. And then that's when he's coming back. But see, that's the thing we've got to understand. He will do whatever it is he needs to do because pride is poisonous thinking. And it's not the heart of the Father. It's not the will of a God for your life. But it's got to be dealt with in repentance. Got to repent of this pride that may be growing in our life. Now, in your workbooks, you guys have workbooks, you'll notice that they kind of give three examples of those who um, were infected with pride. Okay? There were three individuals, or, or I guess you could say individuals, but they were corrupted in their thinking, which, God, which caused God to resist them, thus eliminating them from the assignment and favor and blessing that God had for them. Now, what I want to do is I just want to kind of cover these. I'm not going to have you go to the scriptures or anything like that, but I just want to kind of cover them just to kind of give you an idea, okay, of what, what, what takes place, right? Or this thorough account of, of just kind of understanding the idea of God resisting what that looks like and why God, why he had to resist them. So the very first one was Lucifer, right? Lucifer was a high-ranking official who stood in the very presence of God. And you can read about him in Ezekiel 28 or Isaiah 14. And Lucifer's name meant one who reflects light, a light bearer. Okay, now here's the thing about him. He couldn't generate light, but he reflected light. He was a, he was a light Reflector. Who, whose light did he reflect? God's glory, yeah. He reflected God. That was, that was part of his job, to stand in the presence of God and reflect God's glory. And if God didn't shine upon Lucifer, then there was no reflection of God's glory. Lucifer didn't shine because he couldn't generate this glory, he couldn't generate it. You know, it's kind of like a mirror. You know, in order for you to stand, you know, you stand in the mirror, and what does it do? It reflects it back to you. Well, man, that's what his job was. He was to stand in the presence of God, God's glory, and you can read in those scriptures, we'll talk a little bit more about it. God's glory would be shown, and then, man, it would reflect all over. Right? And the Bible says that even God, right? Lucifer was perfect. God, God delighted in, in, in Lucifer's luster and his assignment. He, he delighted in that. But then something transpired within Lucifer's heart. Pride came in and found its way. And he began to think that he was the cause of the light. He was the cause of what was going on. And it was all because of him and his self-worth and how wonderful and great he was that he had this big uh, thought process of how important he was that he began then to cause um, other people to follow him. Other angels, right? Other angels to go, oh, you lose for you, right? Oh my gosh, you are so awesome. You are so mad. Oh yeah, we're going to follow you. Who needs God? Because Lucifer thought, man, I could take the place of God. I'm the one that reflects the light. But see, he, he, he didn't understand. He doesn't give off light without God. But he thought he did. He became puffed up in his um, ability to think of who, how great he was. But here I was thinking about this. So what happened is he gets kicked out of heaven. God rejects him. Hey, Boom, gives the boot, right? Gets kicked out of heaven. And now, what, well, basically, what do we say? He operates in darkness. Well, why does he operate in darkness? Because he's not near God. No light to reflect. 
Because that was his very source. That's why he operates in darkness. And his whole goal is to try to get us to serve him so that he could have some kind of glory back to himself. But see, God said, no, I, don't, I hate pride, and I'm going to resist you. Set up, you know what? And he kicks him out of heaven. The second one was Absalom, the son of uh, David. You can read about him in 2 Samuel chapter 14 through 18. And because of David's great fame and influence, Absalom became this, this, this admired and celebrated son of David. All throughout Israel, right? And I think back then, if they had magazines, right? If they had People magazine, um, um, Absalom probably would be one of the uh, sexiest men alive that year, right? Which is like totally lame. I don't, I don't even understand that. But, but, you know, or, or he would have been like, you know, the, the natural inquirer that you see on the, on the stands that come up with these crazy stories. Or I think he would have been in that. He would have had TMZ following him. I mean, the scriptures even talk about how gorgeous he was. Everyone thought he was beautiful. Well, you know what? He started to believe in his own press clippings. He thought, yeah, even though I, I am a reflection of my father, I am a reflection of, of who David is and David's heart for God, and all these people love me, man, you know what? I, I got it going on. So what he does is he begins to talk to people and he begins to influence people. And he begins to say, hey, you know what? I am so much smarter than my father, David. That, the king, he, he really doesn't have it together. You know what you need to do? You need to listen to me. You need to follow me. I, I'll go to the gates and I'll decide your decisions and I'll, I'll make sure that you understand that, you know, this is the way you do it. So he, he got built up because he thought he was all that. But God resisted Absalom, right? I mean, he just became so disillusioned that he rebelled against his dad. So what happens? Well, the armies go out and chase Absalom. And Absalom's got this long, beautiful hair. And he's riding on a donkey. Like, really? You're riding on a donkey to get away? I don't know about that one, but whatever. Right, And what happens is he goes under the thicket of a bush and it grabs his hair. And the donkey keeps going and he's hanging there. And then eventually he, he, he ends up getting killed. But see, again, here's someone who was not going according to God's purpose and plan. Right? It was not God's heart to eliminate him, but it was to eliminate the pride in him. Right? Someone else took it into their own hands to eliminate Absalom. Because even David was, was like, is my son alive? You found him? Is he alive? And they would kind of, you know, move it around. And then someone finally came and said, no, no, he, he, he's dead because someone killed him. A bad guy did who was pretending to be a good guy. But see, God, God had to take, try to take care of that, that pride that was in his, in his life. And then the third guy, right? Because going back to Absalom real quick, he, he just allowed the root of pride to continue to flourish so that it harvested in him, right? It produced fruit. And then the third guy was Judas. Judas Iscariot, right? You can just read about him in the Gospels. I mean, here, here's Judas. He was hand-selected by Jesus. He was one of the 12 disciples who were in the innermost circle. He was hearing and seeing all these great miracles and wonders and, and the changing message of, of the gospel that Jesus was preached. He was seeing the Holy Spirit move. I mean, he received personal training from Jesus on how to go out and, and, and share the gospel. He was one of the 12. That, I mean, he had all this going on. He was one of the 12 that was sent out. Man, he preached. Repentance, people got saved. He cast out demons. He anointed people with oil and they, they got healed. John chapter 6. And he, here you go. Judas was taught by God's son and he was reflecting. Listen, he was reflecting Jesus when he was sent out. Same with us. I'm nobody in my natural person or ability. But I'm somebody because I reflect Jesus. Because I made Jesus my Lord and Savior. Therefore, wherever I go, I am reflecting Jesus. 
out to people. That's something to remember, right? And when you walk in, in, in pride, you are not reflecting Jesus. But when you walk in humility, you're walking. You're walking and reflecting Jesus to other people. Along with that, though, you got to think too. Judas was also the, the, the guy who um, was the treasurer of Jesus' ministry, okay? And he was like basically in constant communication with Jesus. And he would be part of, you know, what, what, what they were going to do with the finances, how they were going to distribute food, how they were going to, you know, do all these resources to help people in need. So he was in, involved in every single fiscal um, uh, decision, right? He had this privilege. He had all, all he had inside access, but all of it went to his head. All of it went to his head. And he fell, just like Lucifer and Absalom, into this trap of thinking that he was more highly, thinking more highly of himself than he ought to, which allowed his heart to fill up with pride. So part of that pride then was that he began to think, hey, you know what? I am, I, I am smarter than Jesus. I know how to run this ministry better than he does. Because if you think back to when the time when the lady spent, uh, I think it was Mary, I think so, but poured the, the, the alabaster oil and, and washed his feet, and, and Jude, what did Judas do? He said, hey, why did she do that? That could have been spent on people who need it. And Jesus said, hey, hey, no, 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 no. She's doing this out of her heart. And see, in his mind, that was bad. I can run this ministry better than you can, Jesus. I can do what, I, what needs to happen. I mean, that, that happens sometimes in church. Why did they spend money on that? Right? They should be spending money here. But see, that's the thing. Judas got all kind of this prideful thing and thought, man, I can run this ministry better than you can, Jesus. And so what happens? Right? He goes and he ends up turning Jesus over to the, to the authorities. But see, here's the cool thing about God. He, so God resists. Right? He, he resists Judas. But, but God did it in, in a couple ways. Okay? First, he allowed then that, that to be used so that God could, to do, could do the salvation plan. Right? So Jesus got turned over. But man, that was part of the process so that, that God could have the salvation plan in action. The second thing then was that, you know, by, by eliminating Judas from the, he, he eliminated him from the eternal honor, okay, of advancing God's kingdom just like all the 11. Because of what he did, no longer could Judas be a part of the other, of the, of the other 11. Because God had to resist him for his pride, for the things that were in, in his life. And then what happened? Judas became shameful and guilty of the betrayal that he did, and it drove him to what? Take his life. He hung himself. Now, if you're walking in pride, God's going to deal with you, right? He's not out, again, he's not out to eliminate you. He's out to say, I want to take this out of your life. I want to pluck that root out and get rid of it so you can be all that I've called you to be. See, and when pride goes unchecked, God's going to resist you. But when you feel the resistance, change, repent, get right, right? Because I never thought of it this way. But when we don't, when we don't um, um, repent of it, it's almost like that scripture tells us there's a spiritual law that happens. God will automatically resist you. That's the spiritual law. So if we continue to walk in pride, we continue to think, man, we're better than someone else, that you know, we're just kind of like, you know, again, all that in a bag of chips or whatever it is then the spiritual law goes into action that God ha has to resist you because he said it in his word. But see, here's the cool thing. God doesn't stop right there. 
right? Even, even James doesn't stop right there. Pastor James doesn't stop right there, okay? Because this is what he says, right? He says, but when we repent, um, because repentance requires humility, brings us to our third point. That's where I was trying to get to. Number three, God is drawn to humility, okay? So we talked about how God hates sin, talks about how God, um, you know, resists the proud, but now we're looking at it and it says God is drawn to humility. This is what, what James says, right? Because really, if you think about it, this humility is pride's remedy. Humility is pride's remedy. Again, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now that word humble is topi, top, topinos, sorry, which describes a person who has been reduced in his own self-importance. Okay? Not that someone came and did that to you, but you do it to you. Right? It says, has reduced his own self-importance authentically and accurately. That's key. Okay? You don't put yourself down. Oh, I'm such a this. I'm such a I'm humble. No. Okay? But authentically and accurately calibrating it to it to a proper level, even to the point of stooping to the lowest measure. Basically, it's a person who has a, a, a modest view of themselves rather than an exaggerated view. You ever run across people who have an exaggerated view of themselves? Yeah. But humility is, you know what? I have a modest view of myself. Again, man, I put my pants on one leg at a time. One leg at a Yeah, that's right. Okay, I was thinking, I just say I put my legs on one. Yeah, anyways. Okay? And really, when you look at it, wasn't Jesus one who had a modest view of himself? I think so. I mean, you look at like Philippians chapter 2. It said that Jesus took upon humanity. Right? Took upon our humanity. I mean, he was up in heaven. But he humbled himself, right, and became a man. Think about that. Here, divinity humbles himself to come and be a man, to live amongst us. I mean, he, he, he's just a perfect example, right? But it says, even to the point of death, even to that point where he goes to the cross, Jesus was walking in humility. You don't ever see Jesus, man, being all, yeah, that's right. Jesus is in the house. Yeah, you better listen, boy. I let me tell you. No. Jesus always just kind of showed up. What can I do for you? What, how can I serve you? You got, you got some, let me, let me pray for you. That, that's who Jesus was. But man, you know what? I mean, seriously, he could have had the, you know, the banners and the markers all over the place, the lights, and had a big show and all that because people would have came because, wow, hey, man, that's Jesus. But no, Jesus did everything where he just kind of walked into somebody's house. That, that just goes to show you his humility. Instead of doing the big fanfare thing and, hey, can you set up a stage for me? And then can you have lights and can you have this and a sound system and all that? Well, they didn't have that, but you know what I mean. Instead, what was it? Hey, I'm going to go have dinner at your house tonight. I want to come hang out with you. That's humility, man. That, 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 that's his humility. But this is what Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Now, this is in the Amplified uh, Version, classic version. But it, but it just gives us a great, great picture. It says, for by the grace, unmerited favor of God, given to me, to Paul, I warn everyone among you not to estimate and think of himself more highly than he ought. Not to have an exaggerated opinion of his own importance, but to rate his ability, right? His God given, by, given by God. To rate his ability with sober judgment, each according to the degree of faith appointed by God to him. This is the attitude that attracts God. You want God to be attracted to you? You want God to show up? Then start walking in humility and realizing, you know what? I'm not all that. God, I need you in every area of my life. I'm desperate for you, and I will do whatever it takes. If you say in your Bible, I'm supposed to do it this way, I will do it. 
And you know what? God's attracted to that. God, God, God's attracted. I mean, a lot of times you can look at it and say, man, you know what? I just don't understand. God's not doing this in my life. Why isn't he not doing this? I want him to do this. And I, well, have you been humble? Have you really gone to him and then laid it all out there and say, hey, here you go. This, I can't do this on my own, God. I really can't. I don't have the ability to do that. And, and the other thing about it, too, we have to understand that humility is not putting oneself down or berating oneself publicly or privately or internally. Yeah, I'm just, you know, like I said, oh, I'm just a loser. I'm just this. Oh, yeah, I'm not very, you know, I'm not very good looking. I'm not very this. That's not humility. That's just you berating yourself and feeding into your insecurity. Humility is simply maintaining a modest view of who you are and what you have accomplished, right? And recognizing that, you know what? I've got issues. You've got issues. I've got issues. But I can come to a holy God and I can say, God, man, keep working on me. Keep working on me. I need help. I don't know why I get so frustrated when it comes to this. I don't know why I get so mad. I don't know why a cuss word comes to my head the first thing when this happens. I don't want it to happen. So help me. And see, God looks at that and goes, okay, I can work with that. I can work with that. But see, when we just decide like, nah, I don't, you know, or, you know, just push God off because we think, oh, well, God's totally mad at me now because I had this cuss word coming in my head when it shouldn't have come in. Oh, but God's like, hey, come on, man, let me work with you on that. Let, let, let's kind of get this thing going. Right? Another part of humility is just being able to come to God and say, God, thank you for letting me and choosing me to help build the kingdom of God with my time, talent, and resources. That's humility. God, I'm so thankful that I get the opportunity to serve in children's ministry. I'm so grateful that I get the opportunity to serve as guest services or worship team or whatever it is. Or I get to serve by packing bags for for our, our food give. That's humility. God, you're using me. You're choosing me to be a part of this thing. It's not because you're something special. It's just the fact that you are humbly submitted to him and what he desires for you. So when it's genuine and actively flowing in your life, God's attracted to you. His presence will come into your life. This is what Isaiah 57, 15 says. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Okay, so this is God talking. He says, I dwell in the high and holy places with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite. Contrite means kind of like, like your heart's crushed to powder. It's very uh, uh, soft and, and open. Uh, to the contrite ones. So, again, who does God say that he lives with? He just said it. He said, man, I live with those who are humble and contrite in spirit. And then it says, who does God choose to revive and refresh? How many know, man, I'd like to be revived sometimes and refreshed, right? That scripture says the very same people who are humble and contrite. So that means, you know what? God is drawn to those who choose, right? Humility. To walk in humility. Again, like I said, you're going to battle your flesh. Your flesh is going to rise up and want to walk in pride. But see, that's when you've got to be submitted to the Holy Spirit. You've got to be submitted to God's Word. You've got to be submitted and go, yeah, that, that wasn't right. I'm sorry. I repent of that. And then it says, you know what? God will choose to bless you and work with you. Right? He'll choose to work with you and, and bless you as long as you, right, keep a modest view of yourself. And you're obedient to him. See, when we're not obedient to him, that's, according to our Saul story, that's rebellion. And rebellion is a sin of witchcraft. I mean, man, that's, that's getting heavy. Right? You still love me, Pastor Scott? Yes, Pastor Scott. But I'm just saying, those are all things we have to work on. Right? Have I been perfect in every single thing? No. So I got some stuff. 
But I'm just saying, we've got to take this to the point of saying, you know what? I'm, I've got to be obedient to the Lord. I, I'm not going to have my own self-will take over because I think, you know, God, know, I know how to do it better than God. No, God knows how to do it, everything better than me. But we have to understand that, you know what? We've got to empty ourselves of this unhealthy pride and develop this passion for humility. Okay? I'm going to give you the very last truth. Because we really do need to rely on God. This very last truth. God gives grace to the humble. Right? So he's attracted when you're humble. But then it says he gives grace to the humble. And you know what? And let me just tell you, that's another spiritual law going into effect. When you're humble, grace happens. Grace rises up to a higher level in your life. And it allows God to pour out an abundance, this this special kind of grace into our life. Because God, uh, grace is God's supernatural touch of empowerment in our life. How many want to be empowered? I do. So if I got to stay with a humble heart to the best of my ability, God said that he would give me an extra added grace into my life. There is grace in my life when I ask Jesus to come and be my savior, Right? But man, I believe that there's an extra added grace that kind of comes when I'm walking in humility towards him. I'm walking in humility towards, to, towards my, my, my peeps, right? To the people around me. There's this added extra grace that is on my life. And this word grace is, is sometimes, you know, just translated favor. Favor. Right? When, when a person receives favor, then they are supernaturally enabled empowered and strengthened as a result of receiving this grace or this favor from God. This is what one scholar said. He said, it's a divine touch that transforms an individual and gives him the ability to do what he could not do before. Every single Sunday, I think I rely on that because I would not have been the one that picked me to come up here and to teach you guys what God's word has to say. But see, grace is in my life because I try to be as humble as I can before the Lord and say, Lord, I need you. I can't do this on my own because you know what? I, I don't, I just don't think I can do it. This is not my natural bent. I'm not one of those outside, hey, what's up? What's going on? You know, just whatever. But see, grace, he, he gives you favor. He gives you this grace in your life to be able to do what you cannot do. He gives you this grace that, you know what, will eventually help you to overcome the sin in your life. Not in in your own power, but because this grace is working in you by the power of the Holy Spirit, man, it helps you to be able to to overcome sin in your life. It helps you to be able to just begin to to grow and build a, a stronger spiritual life inside of you. It will influence your behavior. It's going to empower you to vi- for victory. You know what? It'll even enable you to control your words. How many would like that, right? Yeah, increase that. Because I've said some stupid things before. But it all happens when humility is actively flowing in and through our lives. When we walk in humility towards the Lord. And once God sees our humility, then he knows he can work with you. He's not going to work with someone who's full of pride, who thinks they can do it on their own. Who, who, who I, I got it all together. I don't, I don't need you. No. When you walk in humility, God says, I can use you. I can work with you. That's what, he, that's what he's looking for. And it allows him just to pour out this grace in abundance, right? Even to the point where it kind of undergirds you. Let me, let me give you James chapter 4, verse 10. It says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And then it says, and he will lift you up. When you lift someone up, what are you doing? You're undergirding them, right? You know, those cheerleaders, man, they're crazy. If you think about it, but they're trusting this guy to hold them all the way up, like, you know, a handstand or whatever it is, but they're undergirding, right? That's what God does. He comes and he undergirds you in everything that you're going to encounter, everything that you're going to do. He comes, he comes underneath you. 
And he says, man, I will make sure I will support you. I will make sure that you do not fall. I will make sure that, man, I am there for every single purpose. But you got to be humble. You got to totally submit to, to me. So here, here's what you need to do. Ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, do I have any area in my life? Help me to take inventory. Do I have any area in my life that is acting in pride? In any way, right? And, and you can even do that throughout your day. Because sometimes, you know, you know, your flesh kind of rises up sometimes during the day. It's like, hey, you get back down there. No, I don't want to. Right? Yeah, like we've been watching this Lord of the Rings thing. I always think of that precious, you know, precious or whatever. And I, and I always think that's kind of my flesh sometimes. Right? My flesh is like Gollum. Like, ah, my precious, oh, you know, whatever. And I'm like, no, you stay down there, man. You get back down there, right? That's why I think I love Sam, Sam YG or whatever his name is, Sam Gumgee or something like that. Because he's always like, Mr. Frodo, don't listen to him. He's trying to trap you. He's trying to do this. See, that's like the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit saying, don't listen to him, man. Don't do it. I'm way, I'm way off target here. <laughs> but you get the point, right? It's asking the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what, what is it? What's in my life that's going on right now? And if I have something in my life, then repent. Just strictly repent. So that God's grace can flood your life and it can empower you. Let me give you, I'm going to give you two scripts and we're going to end it right here. So whoever wants to come and play, play an instrument, if not, that's okay too. I'm going to give you two scriptures just about humility. Okay? Micah chapter 6 verse 8. Because we all want to experience what God wants for us, I hope. Okay? And when, and, and when we walk in humility, that's, that's what God begins to do. He begins to make that operate. But, but this, is, this is it. Micah 6, 8. It says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. He's trying to get it across. This is what, this is what pleases God. Right? This is what the Lord requires of each one of us. Not just Pastor Scott, not just Larry, but every single one of us. He requires of us to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And the very last one is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. It says, yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Well, how do you get to be submissive to one another? because you don't think too highly of yourself, right? You got yourself in a modest view. You got yourself in a great perspective, recognizing that, you know what? Again, we all put our, our pants on one leg at a time. He says, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. That means you got to put it on. It just doesn't come natural. Like I said, you know, Golem's like, my precious, my precious. Right? You got to say, no, no, no. I'm putting on, I'm clothing myself with humility today. And I might mess up, but that's okay. Because God loves me. God's not angry with me. And I'll, I'll talk to God and repent if I have to. But see, it says, clothe with humility. Choose to walk in humility for, and he's just quoting what we just read in James, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Gives grace to the humble. Gives grace to the humble. That is a supernatural law that goes into effect. When you walk in humility, God is going to give you grace in every area of your life. Simple as that. So again, like I said, just talk to the Holy Spirit. Where is there pride in my life? Let the Holy Spirit deal with you. Get it right, repent of it, and then start making steps forward in humility. And then watch God's grace just begin to shower down upon you in so many areas. Go ahead and bow your heads for me real quick. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for today and we are thankful for what you're doing in our lives. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to each one of us if there's any pride in our life in any, any way, shape, or form. Okay, it's not just, just uh, you know, being someone who's, who's prideful of who they are. 
But pride even goes even deeper to the point of us just not obeying you. And so, Lord, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would reveal to each one of us those areas of pride in our life that are getting in the way. So thankful, God, that you're gracious and you're patient with us. And so help us to see, help us to repent, help us to change our ways. And then each day get up and clothe ourselves with humility. And I thank you for your faithfulness today. Thank you for speaking to each one of us today. Thank you for being with us throughout this week. Thank you that you love each and every one of us deeply. And thank you that, that as we walk in humility this week, we choose to do that, to grow for a passion for humility, that we see your hand outstretched towards us in everything that we do, that, Lord, you would undergird, you would support them in every single way. And they would go, wow, isn't God so good? And so we thank you for that in Jesus' name. for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.